Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Today's conversation could get a little spicy, so I'm excited for it as we're going to be talking about our outdated unscientific dietary guidelines Ooh. and how they really don't apply to the majority of our population. And that is mm. absolutely setting us up for long-term detrimental effects. So with that very cheery opening, I want to welcome everybody in for the new listeners. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. Yes, we're going to talk about fasting and we're going to give you some actionable things that you can do today to put them into your day-to-day life the second that this episode is over. If you want to hear a little bit more about Tommy and I and how we got started on this journey, go ahead and head back and listen to the first couple of episodes, learn a little bit more about who we are and why we do what we do. For all of you long-term listeners, welcome back to another episode. Super excited to have you with us yeah. as we're going to kind of take a little different approach here to the situation that we are currently in with the state of the union that we're currently in when it comes to our weight issues, our metabolic health issues, and the reasons why people are sick and weight loss resistance and suffering here in the United States when we have more access to healthcare and knowledge than ever before, but we're just not right. seeing the results in the stats. So excited for today's conversation, Tommy. And I think there's going to be a lot of different rabbit holes that we can go down. So I want to make sure that we land the plane you know, kind of setting the framework for today before we kind of start going into these different side conversations. Yeah, there's definitely a a lot of things that we could discuss here. But, you know, to keep it focused means that we're going to be really talking about like what what really matters, what moves the needle and kind of like just a little bit of background perspective on 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 what the the determining forces are, you know, right now. I think what I hear underlying there, Tommy, is permission to think differently Mm -hmm. is really the permission to think outside of the box and to take all of the I've tried this. This didn't work. This person says this. This is happening over here. I see this Mm -hmm. in my kid's school. This is what I see in my social circle. This is my personal journey of, you know, struggling with weight loss or struggling with food cravings or struggling with hunger or metabolic conditions like blood sugar related issues and diabetes. And we've done that podcast episode specifically dedicated to, you know, eight out of the top 10, you know, reasons why people perish here in the United States is due to blood sugar and insulin related conditions. Right. So there's something here that's that's more important than, oh, what's my fasting window? Mm. Or why do you guys, you know, guide people towards OMAD versus a 16-8 window? So that's where we're going to end up today. But the starting point is from an article from just an incredible, I mean, I don't know how we stumbled upon her, right? Probably just because we operate inside of this niche in terms of health and wellness and weight loss and fasting. Mm -hmm. But Nina Teichholz, 
She is a science journalist. She's an author. She wrote The Big Fat Surprise, founder of the Nutrition Coalition. She also is the founder of Unsettled Science on Substack. So you can Google her, Nina Tycholes. And she wrote an article about a research article that she was a part of. So Mm -hmm. the article is called Our Outdated Unscientific Dietary Guidelines. Now, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we don't typically operate in the status quo when it comes to one specific diet for an individual. Like, oh, you have to be low carb or you have to be keto or you have to be paleo or vegan or carnivore, whatever it is, right? Right. So it's interesting how deep the rabbit hole can go here. So she was she was part of this this National Academy of Sciences journal article, and it was an analysis of the recent U.S. dietary guidelines process in light of its federal mandate and a national academics report. And then her article that she wrote, so this article was in the National Academics of Sciences journal, right? And it just says that it finds major flaws in the system the systemic nature of it, and then the omission of some glaring science that is outdated and not included in the most recent guidelines. So our outdated unscientific dietary guidelines is where this conversation is going to begin. Wow. Yeah. And the the thing about it is that the state of our health has only been changing and and for the worse over over the the past years and and decades too. And you know what what she highlights here is the fact that the recommendations that we have don't even apply anymore to the majority of people, which is mandated by law that they are supposed to because our waistlines and our blood sugar and our health have changed so much. So these recommendations don't even fit the scope of the people anymore. All right. So let's set the stage because you just dangled the carrot there. So (laughs) the question that she begins with is why do kids in public schools get served donuts and orange juice for breakfast? A meal guaranteed to send blood sugar soaring. So if you have been with us for a while, you know that we, tongue in cheek, we will say, you know, don't eat dessert for breakfast. Like what happened to the good old eggs and bacon? Like where did the protein rich, sugar free breakfast go? Well, it went by the wayside of, you know, salt, sugar, fat and food satiety and clever, colorful pop tarts and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Right. So. Easiest way to start fasting, we will tell people, is to skip breakfast. If you've never fasted, you fast overnight, get up, hydrate, have some black coffee, and push that eating window out until lunchtime. And now you've avoided the starting point of this conversation with her article. And the crazy part is dessert for breakfast accords with our nation's top nutrition policy from the U.S. Dietary Guidelines for Americans, which despite its influence, has been found to contain outdated science and not reflect the preponderance of scientific and medical knowledge, like you said, required by law. So, wow, that's the starting point. And there's this thing called the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee that has been put in place to oversee these guidelines. And there's a major flaw before we get to the application of these guidelines to the American population, in the actual oversight and ability of that committee to have an impact on the guidelines themselves. Yeah, so (laughs) there's just so many issues here, like it goes so deep with with the process and and just the fact that 
there's a preponderance of evidence that's actually omitted, like all of the weight loss evidence and all of the low carb data just being completely eliminated, you know, from, from the guidelines, right? So the conflict of interest is the thing that really stands out to me in the mm-hmm. omissions of those certain categories. Yeah. So the DGAC has been almost entirely, this is a quote from our article, usurped by the government agency overseeing these reviews, i.e. the USDA. So the USDA staff conducts the reviews, they draft the conclusions, and the DGAC is now kind of on the outside looking in. So I know there are specific numbers on the percentages and the amount of people that had conflicts of interest. And I think we should share those in kind of highlighting why there could be major bodies of scientific literature, like the literature on weight loss and the literature on on low-carb diets, because there's another article that was written, a research article on the abundance of research on low-carb for reversing type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And it's clear, but it was just omitted. So that conflict of interest is really the main thing. It's like, okay, so you have this agency that's supposed to be overseeing, but the agency itself has now kind of been rendered useless because what they actually do say is either omitted or ignored. Yeah. And then there's the conflict of interest piece. Yeah. And actually a former DGAC member was quoted here, despite the evidence-based review lens that we say the food policies are science-based, in reality, we often let our personal biases override the scientific evidence. And then when they went to look at those conflict of interest, what they found was that 95% of the members were found to have at least one tie to the food industry. And the majority of those members actually had 20 or 20. more relationships to the food industry. So you talk about conflict of interest. I mean, it's incredible. And that's the committee that's supposed to be protecting us from unscientific, outdated guidelines for the general population. So that general population piece, we're going to come back to, right? So a couple of examples, contradictory advice that doesn't reflect the science. And here's a few that may be a shocker to you, But these are things that we've known for years, and they're actually being proven in the literature. It is. On dietary cholesterol, the guidelines actually contradict their own science. The 2020 DGAC review found insufficient evidence to support a relationship between cholesterol you eat and the cholesterol levels in your blood. Yet the guidelines advise, nevertheless, to keep dietary cholesterol as low as possible. And we know... That the cholesterol from your food is not the cause of your high cholesterol. And cholesterol is not the cause of heart disease. The oxidation or underlying inflammation that causes that oxidation is that end-all be-all cause of the cholesterol being linked to heart conditions, heart disease, etc. So we know that it's there's insufficient evidence, yet the guidelines still say keep dietary cholesterol low. Wow. And then there's the low fat version, right? So the next one is the low fat diet. Yeah. On the low fat diet, the guidelines have ditched any of the low fat wording, but explaining that low fat diets are generally associated with dyslipidemia, like hypertriglycerides and low HDLC, which are indicators of increased risk for heart disease. 
and also could engender an overconsumption of calories in the forms of carbohydrates, metabolic consequences of high-carb diets. So this is from the DGAC vice chair in 2015. There's no conventional message to recommend low-fat diets. And we know that. That started back in the 70s. It wasn't coming from you know, nutritionists and medical professionals. It was coming from government oversight, right, and yeah. government agency. And then the saturated fats would be the last one ignored more than 20 review papers by independent teams of scientists that strong evidence is lacking for continued caps on healthy forms of saturated fat. Wow. So the low carb one for me is really the biggest, oh crap, <laughs> right? Out of this, mm -hmm. out of this article on the unsettled science is that that has been incredibly effective for me personally. And then for hundreds of people that have gone through our challenges and and VIP coaching program hmm. is that that is how they actually get the biggest benefit in reversing prediabetes and diabetes, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed, how they actually start getting the weight off and moving the needle, which is the most important thing that we want. We want to find something that is going to work for you in terms of getting you the results and the sustainability to be able to lose the weight, improve your health metrics, and then ultimately keep that weight off. Yeah, and I, I feel like having that permission to think differently and then realizing that, you know, whenever you have agencies that are coming up with recommendations like this, it's always going to be painted with a broad stroke, like with a broad right. brush, right? Because, it, I mean, By it's, it's meant... Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's meant to, to help and guide a, a large, you know, body of, of the population. But the, the problem is, though, that... We've, we've now skewed further and further away from even, even just if these recommendations were, were based on ideal health or like starting from a good starting point, no blood sugar related issues, no history of, you know, high blood sugars or type two diabetes or, or overweight or weight loss resistance or anything else along those lines. We've now swung so far away from that, that the majority of us have, have weight or blood sugar related issues at any given time over 60%. So these guidelines don't even apply to the majority of the population anymore. And so that that's much worse because now, now we're, we're just pouring more fuel on the fire. Yeah. If we're going to talk about the actual application to the population, then what is the population and where are we at? 60% yeah. have some form, right? Of metabolic related condition. So even if you had these guidelines and you were part of the population that could have dessert for breakfast. Not that mm -hmm. we recommend it, right? Right. Are you moving closer or further away from health in the long term? Similarly to the diabetes issue, if you are taking medications to manage your diabetes, why are we not talking, and we did a recent episode on this, about the actual reversal of diabetes, mm -hmm. right? And that's where a lot of the research has shown that you can make major improvements to your HbA1c and the reversal of diabetes through simple things like fasting and using a higher fat diet and reducing your carbohydrates. So interestingly, there's a link to this conversation about, about the guidelines, right? And since 2004, over the past decade, there's been thousands of science and doctors and others that have urged the officials overseeing our nation's nutrition policy to pay attention to the low carb effectiveness. So yeah. at one point, over 15 professionals stood up and, and cited research articles and case studies and their own personal experiences. And over 40 
40, 40. Okay. And Congress even said, hey, we're concerned here, right? Mm -hmm. But 40 of the studies in the review were just forgotten. Or or mm -hmm. they were omitted intentionally. So hours and hours and hours of testimony on the effectiveness and at least 100 systemic reviews were presented. Then that list was formally submitted down to 52 relevant clinical trials to the DGAC for consideration. Even the American Diabetes Association in 2018 adopted VLCD or a very low carbohydrate diet as a standard of care. Now, here's the difference. They say for managing because they're telling you to eat three meals a day plus snacks and protein shakes and all this other stuff where we're going to talk about fasting right. here in a minute, right? But it was just blatantly omitted. Just left off completely, huh? Wow. And we just, we did the 40 million Americans plus the 350 billion per year spent on blood sugar related health issues. Yeah. So if we're looking to the government agencies to say, what are the dietary guidelines for Americans and the population 60% right out of the gate already doesn't fit the bill. And then we're leaving out some of the most effective ways to stop that progression or never end up in a place where you get diagnosed with a metabolic issue. Then yeah. we're really kind of just shooting ourselves in the foot. And that's where the permission to think differently comes into play. Wow. And not only are we shooting ourselves in the foot, we're shooting the next generation in the foot too, yeah. because you have the same problem for, for the kids. And like, the kids are are subject to a lot more of this oftentimes than the adults are because as adults we have control over what we're actually putting in our mouths but for the kids a lot of times you know especially in in the school system these these kind of guidelines are going to determine what they're actually given access to for for breakfast and for lunch and and for snacks within the schools and you know we have this preponderance of of evidence showing the the rise in you know obesity overweight blood sugar disorders, metabolic issues with the kids. And that's only getting worse. Like they're getting younger and younger. And it, it's because of, you know, the, the guides and the unchanging guides, despite what we now know, like we should be doing this better and differently, but yeah, we're, we're painted into a corner, like in, yeah. in some of these regards. Right. And that's one of the things that they say in the actual research article itself is they say that changing policy is incredibly hard. Yeah. Of course. And obviously, if this has just been able to snowball, right, 50% of the committee has ties to the industry. You know, they're recommending that to ensure reliability of the systemic review process, they need a reliable, reproducible, rigorous scientific evidence review process or methodology that they're going to bring in third party authority or outside voices to try to change this this policy mm -hmm. and try to change this oversight. Because the reality is what you just mentioned, and there's a perfect example in the nomenclature of diabetes is the US guidelines, you know, they're followed by all federal agencies, most schools, hospitals, yeah. doctors, and dietitians. Yeah, yeah, you can see it like in a pediatrician's office, like oftentimes you can see posters like this that are, you know, government guidelines on, on nutrition and things like that, like, like I've seen that. Yeah, and those in themselves, those are the places that people go for advice, but yeah. those cannot be guaranteed based on this to reflect trustworthy advice for the urgency of combating obesity, diabetes, and those chronic disease prevention. Prevention is right. the best thing, right? Our healthcare system is based on treating the symptom, managing it with a medication 
in most cases or a procedure of some sort, right? That's why we have specializations. The more specialized mm -hmm. you get, the more specialized the treatment or medication is. And a perfect example is that nomenclature change where it used to be called adult onset diabetes, mm -hmm. but now we're seeing it earlier and earlier and earlier. And, you know, personally, you mentioned, you know, when my daughter, my first, our firstborn, she had inconsistent breastfeeding with my wife. Mm -hmm. And first time parents didn't really know there were some complications there. She's fine. She's healthy. Everything worked out great. But we actually started making our own goat milk formula mm -hmm. because when yep. we looked on the market for the formulas that were the safest, you know, biggest names, most effective formulas for kids, the ones that are recommended by the experts, right? Right. That the first couple of ingredients were horrible. You're talking about oils, certain oils that we want to stay away from. Should, machine like just process, machine yeah. process, very yeah. high refined. Yeah, just stuff that didn't make us feel great. So we went out and we found formulas and we did the research and we looked at the numbers and we made sure that the important nutritional pieces were there. And luckily there was some stuff already out there so we didn't have to start from scratch. Right. But then we were able to supplement, you know? So it's looking at this like, all right, so we're here. These guidelines are being followed by everybody. It's going to be really hard to change the policy, right? So where is the the light at the end of the tunnel in the permission to change or the permission to think differently? Where does that lie, you know, in types of our framework or the fasting for life lifestyle and what it is that we do and how we live our lives? That's really what we want to highlight now as we wrap up today's conversation is that we have a problem, but what can we actually do about it? Yeah, we can. We can like first take what you said, that permission to think differently and then go like, okay, well, what, what do we do from there? Well, we start doing things that, that maybe not everybody around us is doing. Maybe we can expect a couple of weird looks or some side glances or maybe a couple of inquisitive questions, or we can follow one of the first two rules of fasting, which is don't talk about fasting, especially while I'm kind of getting my, my initial comfort, my, my reps in. But like you said earlier, just starting with extending that not eating breakfast. So removing some of that dessert for breakfast stuff, the insulin spike, the, the over overcompensating blood sugar spike that happens first thing in the morning, we're already going to probably have higher blood sugar numbers in the morning. We don't have to drive it up even further with that quick breakfast, right? We can push that off a bit. Maybe we're, we're waiting till lunch or maybe a, a late lunch or early dinner even to do things a little bit differently and, and, be okay with the fact that it might feel a little uncomfortable at first, right? Yeah. I would want to say this, even if you're extremely new to fasting and the thought of skipping breakfast, you're like, there's no way I can do that. All right. <laughs> Simply making a better food choice based on this conversation today and the links that are in the show notes is an incredible place to start. Yeah. Or thinking about what's going in the shopping cart. Because my mm. wife and I are very intentional about this. Yeah. And we're also very different in our metabolic profiles. Right. Right. So we, we're trying to break some of those generational things that have been handed down when it comes to food and food relationships and food choices and food supply and all of that. Right. So mm. even if you're new to fasting, you don't have to just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go straight to OMAD, right? which is one meal a day, which is yeah. like why we recommend one meal a day versus... 16.8 is because you said it perfectly. With these guidelines living in this framework, 
up against this this monster that we're fighting, right? To fight through right. to get long-term weight loss and health results. You still have plenty of room to operate to mess up this process with a 16-8 yeah. window. Mm. And we hear about it a lot too. Why isn't 16-8 working? Like I've been doing this, like I am, I am on point every single day, but it's not, it's not doing anything. Well, because if I'm following these guidelines within 16-8, just like you said, that's a, that's a lot of rope to really get myself in trouble. Whereas where, when I start getting very intentional about those boundaries and I, I move to something like a one meal a day or start tightening up that, that fasting window or my eating window rather, then I have an opportunity to actually avoid a lot of the missteps. Because even if I'm going to eat, I'd rather eat one meal wrong than three meals wrong or than three meals and, and a snack or two. Plus right? snacks, right? Three yeah. meals plus a chocolate protein bar that's really a candy bar, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. So looking at this in terms of what we can control is making those better food choices. Like you said, tightening up that window putting intentionality into it, intentionality behind our, our fasting windows, and know that for each and every one of you, it's going to be a little bit different. So you're going to have to try things. Like we don't subscribe to, and we're not talking about like the processed, refined, ultra-processed, sugar-laden, you know, 48 grams of sugar in a Gatorade type situation. Mm. We're talking about like, you know, the more natural forms of our actual foods, like the macronutrients, the carbs, the fats, and the proteins. Yeah. So we really want to focus on, if you're new, starting out with balance. Don't be overly restrictive or try to do a 48-hour fast right out of the gate. You know, Especially give yourself- Very low carb. like Very low carb, right? Here. I am never yeah, going to sniff a piece of, <laughs> insert your favorite food here. I'm never going to look at it. I'm just done. We're breaking up forever. Cold turkey, Cold turkey everywhere. Yeah, cold turkey, the research doesn't really show that works well for most people, okay? So beginning with the end in mind, knowing what we're up against, right? So knowledge isn't power, it's what you do with it. So yeah. the fasting windows, thinking differently, knowing that it's okay. If you're new to fasting, starting with something that's just outside of your comfort zone, being a little bit more intentional. And then the last piece, Tommy, which has been incredibly eye-opening over the last you know 12 to 18 months, you know, taking 4,000 people through the challenges is that support piece. So yeah. we want to invite you into our Fasting for Life community, which is where you can have conversations and get feedback and stumble through the process in a place that you know you've got like a warm, comfy blanket wrapped around you. All right. <laughs> Permission to think differently and then also be supported with like-minded right. community. I mean, that, that's such an important piece because the, the faster I can get more comfortable, doing some of these things and and asking the questions about how to actually implement it day to day and then how to get it to where it feels more natural, then it feels more sustainable. And now I can continue to do things that that move the needle and and feel right and serve my my own health journey. I can do them more naturally and more more easily rather than feeling like I'm 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 continually fighting for it while like you said I'm I'm fighting against the the machine of of guidelines. The mainstream, like right? Yeah. Yeah, the socially accepted, you know, what we're told and what's accepted out there, right? So fasting right. is becoming more mainstream, which is great. There's tons of research to show that it's beneficial, whether or not you want to focus on calories, you want to focus on hormones like insulin that control that fat storage or burning. They're both mm -hmm. important. They both matter. But you need a place to do that. You've got a, a partner or a spouse that is not overly, their eyes have not been opened yet to it. 
Yeah. Or maybe they don't understand where you're coming from or why, or you've got friends and family and, you know, the, the sales rep that brings the donuts by every morning, right. they don't <laughs> know the your goals. They don't yeah. know your, they don't know. They're on the outside looking in. So go to the show notes. If you guys want to come and continue the conversation, the Fasting for Life community is incredible. It's growing organically. There's lots of like-minded individuals that live all different types of fasting lifestyles, but fasting is mm -hmm. the key component. So go to the show notes, click the link, join the community. We'll send you our mini masterclass on one meal a day fasting, six simple steps to put fasting into your day-to-day -day life. And also, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of the unsettled science, then those links are going to be at the bottom of the show notes as well. So happy hunting if you're going down that path. Put some of these simple things into your day-to-day -to -day today. Come join us in the conversation in the community, Tommy. And mm -hmm. I'm just hoping that this is an eye-opening conversation for some of y'all listeners, whether or not you're new or you're one of our yeah. long-term OGs, as we like to say. So, yeah. Tommy, as we wrap up today, thank you for the conversation, sir. And we'll see you inside the group. Thank you. Bye. So, you've heard today's episode, and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter, where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.